Hello everyone and welcome to the In Context podcast with me, Gregor Thompson. As you might have noticed, there wasn't an episode for February as I was brainstorming some new ideas for upcoming projects and just started prioritizing what um, creative endeavors I'll be taking on going forward. Luckily, the podcast is going to be one of them. And so for March's episode, my guest is a guest I've had on before, Gavin Oates, who is a motivational speaker and best-selling author whose new book is A Head Full of Everything, which is aimed at teenagers with the world on their minds. If you're enjoying these conversations, please like, subscribe, follow, leave a good review wherever you're listening. It genuinely means a lot to know people are enjoying the conversations as much as I'm enjoying having them. Um, you can stay up to date with the podcast by going to my social medias. My Instagram is Gregor Thompson Media, all one word. That's G R E G O R T H O M S O N Media, all one word. I also have Facebook. It's Gregor Thompson Journalist, and I'm. You can also watch the podcast on YouTube, and my channel is Gregor Thompson, all one word. And if you're curious about any of the references that we make throughout the episode, you can find all of that in the show notes. Before we get to the conversation, I want to talk about the sponsor for this show, which is the Struggle for Meaning newsletter. It's a weekly newsletter I send out every Sunday concerning struggle and how embracing struggle is the way towards progress, productivity, motivation, discipline, and a healthy life. The newsletter will contain short articles by me concerning struggle and how embracing it is the way forward. It will also contain some recommendations to help you to embrace struggle. It could be a song, a movie, a podcast, a quote, an activity, and just various tips and strategies to help you along the way. If you want to be more productive and healthier, then I would suggest signing up for the newsletter at gregorthompson.com. Just put in your email, confirm your subscription, and that's it. You will receive a welcome newsletter, and then every Sunday you will receive this free newsletter from me, which will help you embrace struggle and become more productive. But for now, here's my conversation with Gavin Oates. So what I thought we'd start with is I've got the book, um, A Head Full of Everything. Um, so the, I suppose the first question is, why write a book for teenagers? So my the vast majority of my time with Tree of Knowledge, with my business, actually has been spent working with teenagers. So my background was primary school teaching. But when I made that shift out of the classroom and into doing educational training in schools, actually... To my surprise, I found myself working in the in secondary education much, much more. And I did that for over 10 years. Every single day I was in a secondary school in Scotland, sometimes south of the border as well, sometimes over in Northern Ireland, but vast majority of it in Scotland, working with teenagers. And the vast majority of that was fourth, fifth and sixth year. So that sort of age 14, 15 to 17, 18. And I've always been genuinely inspired by our our youth of today <laughs> there's an old man's phrase right there um but i have been you know i every workshop i ever delivered these teenagers just blew me away they're you know i think they get a tough time in the press i think there's a stereotypical old school perception of teenagers hanging about park benches um but actually they they really care. They care about the world. They care about each other. They care about themselves. They want to make the world a better place. They want to have fun. They want to live their life and be independent. And I think, you know, fast forward a few years, the first few books I wrote were for, for the grown-ups. The next couple of books I wrote were for kids aged sort of like 7 to, to 11. Um, and for about four or five years, people have been saying, have you got anything for that sort of teenage, not young Teenagers, I think I think the phrase somebody used with me once was tweenagers, which made me want to throw up in my mouth. <laughs> um, but they were talking more that young adults, not quite an adult, but, you know, not a kid anymore. Um, so to go back to your question, I firstly, there was a gap because I wanted to be able to create a series of books where there was one for everyone. And two years ago, Life Will See You Now came out, and that's very much for the grown-ups. Um, but I kept getting contacted by parents saying, I'm going to give this to my my teenager. It's it's not really for teenagers. It's very sweary. It deals with some interesting themes. And then I was getting contacted by people going, have you ever thought about doing a teenage version of Life Will See You Now? And that is essentially what a head full of everything is, that I've pulled some stuff over from Life Will See You Now. I've, I've tweaked it, teenagered it a little bit. That's not even a phrase, but we'll, we'll go with it. 
Um, and I think they're our future right now in, in, in this country. And they have had, they've had a tough time. I mean, if you look at senior pupils in Scottish secondary schools, the last entire three years right now in all secondary schools, none of them have ever sat an exam because of COVID. You know, whether you are fourth, fifth or sixth year, you have never sat a single exam before at school. They've been stuck indoors for huge chunks of that bit of your life that's meant to be social and out and having fun and building those relationships and discovering yourself, finding out who you are, where you're going and what you want in life. So I'm hoping, um, and certainly initial feedback and reviews would are positive, I'm hoping that this book... Um, can can offer a, a sense of uplift, um, give them a nudge, put a smile back on faces, relight some fires and bellies, uh, and really um, offer that sort of metaphorical arm uh, of support. Yet yeah, you've had a strange couple of years. Let's uh, let's let's look at where we are right now and 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 go crack on. Yeah, um, one of the things I found interesting about what you're saying there with COVID is. One, I came to the realisation the other day that it's going to be 10 years since I left high school, which mm. is pretty terrifying. But when I was at school doing these exams, that was hard enough. So, And I, I, I was lucky enough that I'm quite a good studier. I was always fine doing it at home. I wouldn't get distracted by anything. But I feel like I would definitely struggle if I was home all the time. There was no sense of freedom. There was no... Um, there was no going out. There was no almost rebellion because I think a lot of teenagers kind of need that rebellion. Too right. Too and, right. And I suppose, how do you think teenagers are able to cope with that? That what COVID is, how COVID has affected them. What's the what's the kind of advice you would give them? Because it is a scare. It's quite scary. Like I, I was able to relate to. Um, university students who started university and they weren't stepping foot in the university or they weren't doing their kind of freshers or they weren't they were stuck inside their halls with people they didn't know strangers they didn't know yeah. and had to basically get along or you're stuck with people that you're gonna have tension with yeah. um so what what was how would you relate that to teenagers well i i think you've mentioned two or three really really um, really important things there that I don't think we're probably going to know mm. the 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 real impact of those things probably probably for another well maybe, maybe another five ten years I, I, I don't know because um, I also look back on my time in in high school um, slightly longer for me I mean I finished high school in ninety seven nineteen ninety seven and you know I. My entire secondary school existence, whilst it wasn't all positive, um, most of it was outside. You know, most of it was coming in from school, dumping my bag and heading out. Going, like, I, I grew up on the west coast of Scotland, right beside the beach. And we just congregated at the beach all the time. Um, and if we weren't doing that, we were at, I don't know, rugby. We were at, I, I played a lot of volleyball in school, a bit of basketball, Um there was always something to go do. And the thought of that all just disappearing. You know, you couldn't go to the cinema with your pals. You couldn't, uh, I mean, my days at high school were pre-social media days, which I'm very grateful for. But um, I think um, I think for teenagers, I think in many ways, they dealt with it amazing. I, I mentioned it earlier, teenagers are amazing and they have this resilience that I don't think they, they get credit for. And I, although I think that word resilience gets thrown about way too much at the moment and, I think some people are so knackered after what's happened that resilience isn't enough anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but I think um, what was, I mean, I, I mentioned there that I, I'm grateful for not having had social media, uh, smartphones and whatnot. But actually for many teenagers, I think that was probably a bit of a lifesaver. You know, they were still able to talk to their friends. They were st still able to connect. I mean, we could look at the negatives that and how it's a bit of a disconnect from yourself and you know, too much scrolling. Totally. Like, and we can maybe come to that. But, but I think the positives was that the technology still allowed them to be in touch with their friends. You know, it wasn't like, like, like if this had happened in the 90s, I would literally have been in my house with my parents and my brother and we would have had five TV channels. 
That and that and that would be it. And the radio. That that literally would be it. I wouldn't be able to talk to my friends and relatives on Zoom or Teams or WhatsApp or any of that. You couldn't text anybody. You wouldn't have been able to email anybody, and you'd have such limited news. But so by by having the technology, I think that's one of the things that allowed not just teenagers but everybody to still feel a sense of connection. Now again, a lot of people have had a truly awful, lonely, uh, anxious time. Um, you know, a lot of people have lost a lot of sense of freedom, confidence, energy, sleep. You know, there's a lot of things that people have lost over the last couple of years. But I think one of the things that I was very aware of is, you know, the the sort of the, the sort of machinery of humanity at work, overcoming crises. And I think I think we've seen that, and I think we've seen our young people actually stepping up and and leading the way in many ways. Um, and I think it gave young people an opportunity to connect with their parents in a way that actually maybe young people haven't done so much for a long time because we're so engrossed in our phones and because we're so busy and because parents work so hard. Um, I think, um, and it's one of the things I've mentioned in the book actually is you, know, you don't have to talk to your parents about everything. You don't have to talk to them for hours and hours and hours, but actually make some time to talk to your parents because they probably know more than you realise and they're probably cooler than you. Well, if you don't want to hear it, they probably are much, much cooler. In fact, I've given a whole bunch of reasons in the book as to why parents are actually cooler than, than you. And your teachers are probably cooler than you. And again, teenagers don't really want to hear that. But I think um, you know, during that two years, certainly the teenagers I was in contact with through the business and through the stuff that we were delivering, it was very much try and use this time, try and use it to relax, try and use it to be creative, try and use it to connect with your parents, have great, meaningful conversations, watch movies that your parents watched as a kid and just absorb it, read books um, and get out and do lots of walking and get lots of fresh air. So I don't think there's any one piece of advice to offer teenagers off the back of the last couple of years other than to and it's maybe a cop-out answer, Greg, but put it down to a unique experience and pull all the positives from it that we can. It's been absolutely shit for so many of us, but make that effort to look for the positives in there and, and take them, uh, grab onto them with two hands and run with them and use them. I mean, I think about my two years, I got to walk my daughter to school um, nearly every day. I'm still doing it. I did it this morning. But if I look back pre-COVID, I was always in the car by about five, half five, heading somewhere in the world, away two, three nights a week. I'm home for dinner. I make the dinner. Now, they're just wee things. But those wee things are the things that make us happy. Um, so, yeah, I've been speaking to a lot of teenagers and saying to them, as rubbish as it was for you, go, looking for, the, go look for the positives and uh, don't, don't forget them. You're allowed to look back over the two years and celebrate the fact you got through it. You're allowed to... You don't want to look back and linger on that, but you want to look back and, and be grateful for the opportunities that did come from it. And that might sound a bit back to front for some people who had a really awful experience, but actually I think there are, I think there are positives for everyone. I think one thing that I found useful is cherishing the time you spent with people like your parents. There was an article I read called um, The Tail End, I forget who wrote it. I'll link it down in the show notes. But he basically, um, he laid out all of these graphics and said, like, this is how many pizzas I've had, for example, and this is how many I'm roughly going to have for the rest of my life. <laughs> if I have one every three months or something like that. And then it got very deep when it showed, this is all the time I've spent with my parents so far, and this is all the time I've got left. And it's wow. before you've moved out of your parents' house, you've probably spent about 90% of the time you're ever going to spend with your parents in your yeah, life yeah. because the rest of your time, you're going to move out. You're not going to see them nearly as much, but you're seeing them every day. Yeah. And I think for teenagers, that's maybe one thing that they could look back on and cherish. And they will. You're right. I think you're right. And obviously there's some people out there, unfortunately don't, don't get that chance. They either yeah. lose parents young or whatever. And it's funny you mention it because actually, um, literally just two or three days ago was, was, was the 10th anniversary of, of my dad dying. Um, and it's funny because actually this was something that literally came up in conversation the other day about how grateful, albeit like he was quite young, you know, when he died, but um, 
you know how grateful I was to have to have that time with with my parents and you know I got I got to the age of 18 and I've moved out and I moved to Aberdeen it was four hours away from my hometown of Troon and I rarely saw my parents again after that um you know I visited them every now and then and and so you're, you're absolutely right I think it's a great point and I think um as irritating as parents can be and as frustrating and as stressful and as you know, anxiety fueled as as lockdowns were for a lot of people. Uh, I think it's a really valid point. Look back on it, and we we'll use the word cherish. Absolutely, cherish that time because you might. Well, actually, the reality is you probably won't have it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think it's forced. I think the whole COVID thing has forced me to 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 rethink everything along those lines. You know, the time with with my family, like my son went into the first lockdown. A primary school child and came out of lockdown a secondary school young mm-hmm. teenager like it's mad um and i realized that i had very rarely if ever walked him to school been a sports day missed most parents nights and it at the time it was like yeah but i'm busy i'm i'm on the road that's what i do it's my job i don't do i don't know how to do anything else but all of a sudden the world just went there's a slowdown for you mate you know there was fears around the business and employees and it was awful don't get me wrong but the world delivered as a slowdown uh, and I took it I grabbed on with two hands and um, it shook people to their core it shook my business to its core and we had to rethink everything but honestly dude I'm I'm so grateful for it not the COVID part obviously that sucks and I would like that to go away fully it's not going to obviously but um, I, uh, I'm very grateful for it so yeah looking back on not just the time with loved ones, but the time to think, the time to write, the time make moments of silence. We don't have them anymore, you know. To be able to sit for twenty minutes on an armchair in silence, people can't do that anymore. We're on edge all the time. Um, the news of late has put people on edge even more, understandably. So I think um, one of the phrases I used in another book of of mine called Zest was was this idea of creating a mental green belt for yourself and I, lo- I love that concept and I think that's what I think what that's what the last two years have brought me a reminder to create a mental green belt a space in my own head for downtime to just be for silence to think and not allow that constant build-up of communication whether it's from a phone whether it's the tv whether it's billboards sides of buses like the whole world now is just there's information take more information into your eyeballs um so yeah i'm i'm going with as many of the positives as i can yeah i think the, the world we live in now um every major company is trying to get your attention it's yeah. not trying to get your money it's trying to get your attention or it's trying to get you to buy something that's going to distract you from what's really important and that's how they make money um, a lot of us, I think, get distracted by social media or get distracted by that next purchase. And we, we, we tend to forget that we're not going to be satisfied with that next purchase. We're going to buy that next purchase, whether it be a car or a phone. We're going to have it for a few days and it's going to be great. Then after that, it's just on to the next thing. And I think one thing we should take from the pandemic is to be a bit more stoic. Be that, that idea of being grateful for things and like I'm not grateful for COVID but I'm grateful for what came out of COVID absolutely and, and I think what you're talking about there is having that mental space there's two examples I can think of two weeks ago I had COVID and I had 10 days just to be in the room isolate from everyone else and just think and I had an epiphany and that was like a complete different like career change of what where my life should be heading and it would have been, a, it was basically a decision that was going to affect the next three years of my life. Um, and then just the other day, I meditate every day for about 10 minutes. And when I do that, most of the time, either my head starts planning the day, it starts daydreaming, or I just kind of sit in silence and I manage to kind of be fairly aware of my breath and senses and stuff like that. But occasionally, a bright idea pops into my head and I like the other day I had one and it was just an idea for an article and I just started, like I finished meditation and just started writing for about 15 minutes this idea and I thought this is great. I'm just going to keep working on this. And if I hadn't had that 
space to do that mm -hmm. i wouldn't have gotten that idea if i was on social media for that 10 minutes that idea would never have popped into my head yeah um, and i think we struggle with that in the modern world we ne we're never bored anymore because we've always got something to do yeah you're right and boredom's really important you know it's well to, to an extent obviously um but you know i always think about young kids you know, we kids need, like really young kids, they, they, they need to know what boredom is because it kick, it kickstarts the imaginative thinking and the play and all this kind of stuff. Um, but if it's constant screens, constant stream of information, uh, the brain is just on all the time. Um, but yeah, and, and uh, you know, that silence in many ways is is now monetized. You know, it's... it's um, we pay for mindfulness apps and mm -hmm. we pay for retreats. Never been on a retreat, but people do. Um, and I'm not criticizing these people because actually these things can save lives. It's all good. But actually, we literally need to buy silence now, uh, some of us. Um, it's a scary thought. But certainly to, to go back to talking about teenagers, I think um, they've got a lot on at the moment. You know, there's a lot happening. There's a lot in their head. There's a lot in the world, uh, and hopefully, um, hopefully, they are are or were able to pull some of that real positive stuff out of that downtime of of just being, because mm -hmm. um, it's important. I think, I think from my, my experience of being a teenager, is I was always, um, I always tended to, and I still do this now. I tended to rush around. I was always thinking of the next thing, and never kind of like being present i was always um I'd be rushing to like the next class or, or rising for an exam or, go, or going out with friends um, and i think one thing that would be beneficial for teenagers is to do that sort of just stopping and thinking and i think what you're saying with like paying for meditation apps one thing i find more beneficial than the meditation apps i, I like a guided meditation sometimes but i'll just now just set a timer for 10 minutes and just sit in silence because i find that the guided meditations tend to um, take me out of yeah. my my own mind um, but go, yeah going back to teenagers what do you think the biggest misconception that um, older people have of teenagers um, that they don't give a shit um, I think if older people just give teenagers a platform a space like see when you think about like big like big global issues like like climate change for example i mean it has been it's the teens that have led the way um you know it's the teens that are stepping up and demonstrating it's the teens that are stepping up and speaking out and saying hang on a minute this is this is our future this is our world um i think unless you have put yourself into a space like a like a secondary school, for example, and actually spent time with teenagers listening, really listening, really hearing what they're saying and what they're passionate about, then it's hard to it's hard for older people to 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 really get that or understand that. Because I think there comes a time where you start to forget. You start to forget what your teenage years were like because life takes over. You know, busyness takes over, work takes over, family responsibilities take over. So I think um, I think there's that. I think there's a, there's people out there who think teenagers are lazy. There's some of the laziest people I know are in their forties, fifties, and sixties. Um, so I think it, you know some of them sound like sort of stereotypical things, but actually I think I think I think these are right. I think they're accurate, and I think you know it's important to give them a voice and a platform. And I love the fact that in Scotland teenagers can vote for certain things you know from from 16 um i think it's really important uh so they're um hugely passionate hugely creative uh they form brilliant relationships they've got great ideas um it's funny i often joke about we kids as well being the same you know three four and five year olds you know we should be bringing three four five year olds and 15 and 16 year olds into our into the government you know, get them round the table and ask them their thoughts, ask them their ideas, because I tell you, they'll come up with better ones than some of the folks that are in there at the moment. Mm. Um, I think there's a... I think with teenagers, I think they, they... Yeah, they care. I think they really I think they really do care, and um, they're energised by stuff that's important. Mm. 
I think the worst one for me is the snowflake stereotype. Yeah. Uh, I hate, I, I don't, well, one, I don't, I don't understand it because the amount of times I've um, come in contact with someone that's in their 40s or their 50s and they're almost behaving like a, like that stereotypical kind of snowflake, that kind of fragile. Um, I think it's more of like an, it's an ego thing that people associate with the snowflake idea is that people are fragile and they can't, um, they can't take offence. And I just, I just think we're, we're, we can all be like that sometimes. Um, we all kind of let our emotions take over, and yeah. I, I just think for to to group teenagers as all snowflakes just because they're going through this massive change where their emotions and their hormones are literally, well, not literally, exploding yeah. in their brains. Of course, there's going to be times where they let their emotions take over, yeah. and it's the same with it's the same with everyone else. We 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 can't really control our emotions. We can't control our, control our um, thoughts. So we are going to be a bit fragile sometimes. And I just, I just hate this whole, that grouping of all young people being snowflakes. Yeah. I think this is where, I think this is where social media has really fed into this conversation where, you know, you almost can't share an opinion right now mm. um, without being labeled as weak or you know I, I think back to my book life will see you now that came out a couple of years ago there's a chapter in there called confidently lost where hey i wrote about my own mental health um you know i had a nervous breakdown and and i was so worried about putting that out there because of how i would be labeled and what people would say about me and uh and things like that and i think um we live in a world now where it's almost too easy now to go, oh yeah, you're you're a snowflake, you're a this, you're a that, you're, oh you, yeah. I, th- I think I think teenagers have it tough, Gregor. I do. I don't think it's easy being a teenager in the world right now. I think there is a lot for teenagers to be genuinely upset about right now. I think there's a lot for teenagers to be genuinely angry about right now. There's an awful lot in the world that is absolutely damaging the mental well-being of our young people right now. Um, so to to brand a generation snowflakes or whatever it might be, it's it's uh, it's not okay. We need our teenagers to speak up. We need them to share their thoughts and ideas and feelings. And there's an awful lot of people out there in this world need to be a bit more open to that. I think being a te- I the things teenagers are dealing with now has changed so much just in the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, Because when I was a teenager, it was all the thoughts that were in my head were doing well in my exams and how am I going to get someone to buy me alcohol that weekend? But now they have to, their teenagers are so much more political. They're dealing with literally the end of the world, the climate crisis. They're dealing with um, gender conversations and all these different things that, I'm not saying it's a bad thing that they're having any of these conversations. It's great, but that must to add that all on to everything else they've got to deal with. It must overload them at times. Yeah. Plus, you've got this thing in your hand constantly that's firing huge amounts of this information at you constantly. And I think um, so. My my son is is actually he's 14 tomorrow. Um, and it's been interesting over this last couple of years watching the behaviours change uh, to, to more of that scrolling, head down, absorbing, constant, constant communication with people. Like it's, it never stops, ever. Um, and yeah, dealing with all the sort of conversations that you've, you've just, you've mentioned there and all the different things that are going on in the world right now. I... I'm like you as a teenager, my, my concerns were fitting in. Uh, are we going to win on Saturday at the rugby? And yeah, who's who's going to buy me my beers at the weekend that I can sneak down the beach and, and have without my parents knowing, even though I found out they knew all along. <laughs> um, I think if I was a teenager now, honestly, I think I'd be knackered. Mm. I think I'd be absolutely knackered because it's so, so fucked up, mate. It's so strange. Um, and that's why I think they're amazing because they're the vast majority of them 
are, are cracking on. Um, mm. And the ones that are struggling, I hope, I hope they're asking for help. I hope they're reaching out. I hope they've got supportive parents. I hope they've got teachers that see them and have spotted and are there for them. Because um, uh, it's a strange time to be a teenager. Mm. I think the world, the world needs to be there for them, you know, because I keep saying it, but they, they are our future, you know, and they're our, uh, they're our next doctors, our next teachers, our next prime ministers, our, our, uh, our next everything. Mm. What Staying on that theme then, what, what advice would you give parents of teenagers how to um, manage the different areas that teenagers have to govern because I think my parents will hear me saying this but one of the best things I found that my parents did when I was growing up is they when I was drinking they wouldn't they wouldn't say to me don't go drinking or there's like you're grounded or anything like that they'd say if you're going out drinking and you're you're needed help or you've drank too much call you yeah. call and we'll come get you because we like the idea the idea of you being in trouble is more of a horrible idea than um you drinking in the first place and me being angry about that yeah. um and i always remembered that if i because there were multiple times i'm underage i'm, I'm not i'm not experienced drinker at all and the amount of times that i was in trouble i was like puking up my guts or i just like couldn't see straight and i'd tell someone that, that like the party i was at just like phone my mum, like I'd be like crying or something like that, and saying phone mum, and he'd be like, "Are you sure? Because you're probably going to get in trouble." And <laughs> um, I'd be like, "Yeah, it's fine, it's fine." And then they just like throw me into the back, and then that would be it. Um, I'm not saying that's the best thing my parents ever did, but I always remembered that it's like such a. It was a very modern take on that because I always remembered that my, that I was a kind of outlier in that instance. Like not a lot of other parents were behaving that way and it was the, I think it was the best thing because it almost it, it taught me anyway how to drink in moderation yeah. um, no my, my, pa- my, my parents sound very similar to yours they were they were really cool actually and again don't get me wrong they weren't saying yeah go and enjoy a drink tonight Gavin you're 16 mm-hmm. um it, it, it wasn't that at all it was they knew fine well what we were up to and instead of getting angry and 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 not letting us out the house it was they, they kept a close eye I think basically, um, and actually, I didn't, I didn't really do anything stupid. You know, I wasn't, I didn't, I, I you know, when a lot of people were taking drugs, I wasn't. Um, yeah, I went out and, and and drank when I shouldn't have, and we would sneak down the beach and have cans of cider and puke up everywhere and be home for a certain time, and then go play a game of rugby the next day, mm-hmm. um, which I just couldn't ever imagine <laughs> doing now. Um, but I think parents need to remember themselves as a teenager think about all the mistakes you made because your kids are going to make them and when they do make them think about how your parents spoke to you or didn't speak to you or should have spoken to you think about how you felt in those moments think about how confusing it was for you as a teenager at times how exciting it was for you as a teenager what things meant to you and I think it's that trying to almost force yourself to go back and be in be in those shoes again I mentioned earlier that my son turns 14 tomorrow and there's things he says and does and there's that almost that automatic you want to turn and go don't be don't don't be so stupid or but yeah you, you have you have to almost catch yourself before you say something that's going to upset them or hurt them because because there's moments I sit there and I just bite my lip and I think oh my god that's just me it's just me that's the sort of things I did and said and um so yeah, I think uh, again, it's very hard to give parents a certain piece of advice, but I think one of the most important things we can do, firstly, make sure that you are there for your teenager, that you see them and that you truly hear them. Um, I think there's a lot of parents at the moment I talk to are are really worried about their their kids at the moment because of particularly because of the last couple of years and what they've been through and the fact that no one really knows what sort of impact it's going to have on them long term and things like that and. You know, most parents I speak to will tell me, oh, exams aren't important. But then they tell me they really want their kids to do well in their exams because they want their kids to do well. And I'll say to them, yeah, but you don't need to pass exams to do well in life. Oh, we know that. But because there's still that whole stigma around exams and getting to university and having a successful career. And albeit, I think times have changed a wee bit on that as well. You know, there's that phrase, no wrong path that circles around education. And it's so true. And I think 
I think parents need to know that, that there is now no wrong path. I was going to say to success. Nah, to, to happiness. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because success is different things to different people. And I also think nowadays, as a parent, like the things that my son is going to be able to go and do, they didn't exist when I was a teenager. So I have to try hard. There's things that are available to my son now in terms of school opportunities, career opportunities that didn't exist. So I think one of the things for parents is to make that effort, make that time to to really understand this new world that that, that we're in now. Because um, actually, when I went to school as a teenager, the pressure was pass your exams and go to uni. That is that is success. You will go to university. That's the only reason I went to uni, dude, was because my parents wanted me to go to uni. Now, I'm very grateful for the experience I had at uni. I met, I met my wife. I met some of the best friends I've ever had in my life. It took me away from home and gave me all these wonderful experiences. So I don't regret it. But but I, if it had been me, I wouldn't I wouldn't have I wouldn't have gone actually to university. Um, I would probably have gone and um, uh, travelled quicker than I did. I would probably have maybe done um, some um, uh, college qualifications. But now, I mean, some of the apprenticeship programs that are out there are absolutely unbelievable like genuinely brilliant and paid as well <laughs> that would have been appealing at uh, 17 uh, years of age but um i think now as, as as a parent myself of a teenager um it's not reacting it's it's just taking a moment to truly see and hear what's going on and and make the effort to actually research what is going on for young people now because actually it's bloody brilliant there's great opportunities out there. Some of them are a bit scary to me because I don't really understand it, but that's why I think people need to, parents need to make the time to to go find out about it. So yeah, put yourself in their shoes, see them, hear them, and make the effort to really understand what's, what's out there now. I think what you were saying about exams and uni and stuff like that is one of the things I remembered is parents who said to their kids, I'll, we'll give you money if you get when you get A's. Like oh, when you get yeah. A's in your exams, you're going to get money. Um, and I remember thinking that, and I remember telling my parents, and my mum basically said, well, "We'll give you money if you try, if you put in the effort. If I like, if you if you try, and um, it doesn't matter what the grade is. If we know that you've tried and you put in the effort, that's that's fine. And it's that I just think the incentive of results and the incentive of um, going to university just to have just to have this bit of paper." It's not for everyone. Um, I was lucky that it was for me. I loved university and I really, really enjoyed it. And I wasn't terribly stressed when I was at university. Um, but that's I'm a, that's a minority. The, the amount of people that were in my university class who hated it yeah. and barely, barely got to the end, but they were really stressed by the end of it. Like that was the majority of people. And it's just university is not for everyone. And exams aren't for everyone. Absolutely. These exams are tailored for one specific group of kids, and they'll do well. But they could be the smartest people in the some some kids could be the smartest people in the world, but they just don't exam very well. I totally agree. I am. Um, I was actually hoping that was one of the big things that would come out of the cancellation of exams for the last couple of years is that they would they would change the system and do, and do away with the current exam setup um, because I don't. I don't, I don't agree with them. I don't think we should be doing exams in the way that, that we do them. I think, uh, like when I went to university, um, it was a teaching degree I did. And of course, your your placements as a student teacher are kind of like your exam. You know, your tutor comes out and observes your teaching and your, the teacher that you are in the class with, they, they assess you as well. But there was a continual assessment approach. I didn't set a single exam and it was brilliant. You know, and it didn't really matter where you fell in terms of how academic you were. It kind of did fit everybody in, in, in many ways. But going back to something you said earlier about, you know, we'll give you money if you get A's. I, I remember it. I remember people at my school. I remember somebody being told, if you get your five A's, we'll buy you a car. My parents never said that to me. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, why am I not getting a car? Um, how terrible would you feel if you were one of these kids that didn't get all A's absolutely and by the way I didn't get a single A 
in my entire life. The only time I got A's was when I went to uni and on my teaching placements, I got A's for certain parts of my um, performance, shall we say, uh, in in the classroom. But the academic side of it, report writing and nah, never never got a name in my life but at school like I failed all my hires first time around um that wasn't expected I was expected to do all right not not straight A's never was a straight A student but I was expected to do all right but I, I got nothing first time around and I I, oh, I can remember the tears I can remember the stress the anxiety the phone ringing with all my mates going, oh, we're all going down the beach for a party. So-and-so's dad's bought my car. So-and-so's just been handed 500 quid because they got five A's. Sitting crying in my parents' house with nothing. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, I was lucky that my parents were actually amazing and were like, right, good will come from this. You know, and that's a phrase that stuck with me forever. Good will come from this. Whatever gets thrown at me, you know, at times where things have got, been tough with the business or when COVID hit the business and we lost 150 events in 72 hours, I remember saying to the team, good will come from this. Mm-hmm. And that was a phrase that um, that uh, that my parents gifted me, if you like, uh, mm-hmm. as a as a 16-year-old, uh, you know, and it's sort of served me quite well, I think. But but yeah, the, the pressure of exams, the pressure of further education there's a better way. I don't know what the answers are, Gregor, but there is there is a better way. Our entire education system is not built for for the modern world. Mm-hmm. That that's a that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, I mean, my my first degree in journalism. I think they they did that very well. We had two exams for the whole four years, um, and everything else was practical. You yeah. would you would actually work as a journalist. You were the the lectures you had were working journalists. Everything was practical. That fit a lot of people. Like it fit yeah. that helpful because it makes you realize this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a journalist and gives you and pushes you into that. And so yeah. maybe that's maybe what high schools need to replicate. Um, but going going back to exams, I think um, one thing I always found interesting when I when I d- did my hires, I was working. I was revising for probably about six like to eight hours a day, two Red Bulls a day which definitely wasn't good for me. Yeah. Uh, I was work, working as hard, as hard as I could. And I remember getting the exam results back and it was four Bs and a C. Um, and I was like devastated. I was, I'm so annoyed with that. And I always yeah. remember my mom and dad's reaction was like, amazing. Like yeah. you passed, you did, you passed all of them, all that work you put in like paid off and you've like met your conditions to do a, a university course. But it was just that, it's just because I think they were letting me learn that lesson that, you can put in all the effort in the world, but it might just not, you might just not get the results or you might just need to change what you're putting effort into. I think um, that's a good, I think there is a message in there for life in general. Doesn't, yeah. you know, I, one of the things I've talked about a lot, not just with teenagers, but business people as well, you know, in, in the books and in my talks and things, you know, sometimes you can be the nicest person in the world, mm-hmm. care deeply, put in all the effort, try your hardest, be good to people. Sometimes your face just doesn't fit. You know, like in, in that team or that business or that marketplace or whatever it might be. And I think the example you gave there is there's a there's a, a lovely analogy in there for the taking for just life in general. Um, mm. But again, you know, you, your parents, I my take on it is your parents are absolutely right. That's a brilliant set of results. But society tells us that A's are brilliant results. Um but you know, there's a reason why B's and C's get you into uni, because they're still great. They're yeah. they're good enough. It's just unfortunately, society maybe questions is good enough. Good enough. Yeah. Um, it's constant pressure to make it to be something to to be successful, but we're not spending enough time determining what success actually means because the world keeps telling us it's not really about money and status, and yet we're chasing money and status. Yeah. Going back to what your what your parents were saying there, that um, what good can come of this? I don't know. Have you heard of Jocko Willink? No, I haven't. He's a retired Navy SEAL, um, and he he got he got like famous on social media just because all he would post is his watch, and it would be at four a.m. and that's him getting up to start his day, and he has this great. Um, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Um, I think it was for the Tim Ferriss show that he, he wrote this 
I don't know what you really call it, but he wrote this piece and it's just called Good. And it's just about like setbacks and failures. And so his attitude for everything, if like someone came up to him and said like, I don't know, mission's been cancelled or like delivery's been cancelled, he would always say good. And that's where it was like, something good will come of this. Like, like if you, um, you, you give some world, real world examples. So like you didn't get the job, good. It means you can work on your resume more. Yeah, okay. If you didn't get the delivery of like a high tech equipment, good. It means you can keep it simple. All yeah. these like things and I just think that's yeah. very useful and I think that can be used for teenagers um, because teenagers go through a lot of setbacks well, what they view as setbacks yeah. and so t- teaching them that these setbacks are good it means you're progressing and it means that um, you can concentrate on something else yeah I totally agree I love that I like that idea because it is it's that mindset thing isn't it it's just seeing the positive and everything seeing the opportunity and everything that's not to say you can't have some down days and feel sorry for yourself from time to time but actually to be able to put that nice little spin on things uh and find the meaning in it and find the opportunity in it brilliant it's the way it should be it's not easy uh and that would I think for a lot of people out there that would take a bit of reprogramming the old brain to be able to think like that because there's so many many people just set in their ways you know it doesn't go to plan so it's a failure yeah. you know end of the world what am I going to do now Actually, there's lots you can go and do. It's like Mondays. We've all been programmed to hate Mondays. Um, some people Sundays and Mondays, and Sundays because of Mondays. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think um, you know all the work that that we do at Tree Knowledge, working with young people, primary kids as well, is trying to encourage them to see those opportunities in setbacks and failure, and actually embrace those moments and dare I say enjoy those moments. Uh, but it's not easy I mean I remember when I failed my exams at school like I was genuinely sad like like I reeked of sadness um, Mm. because in my mind that was it life was over you know 16 17 years of age and life was over Mm. uh, because there had been so much emphasis on you have to do well in your exams Uh, and that's why I think the way we do it in this country is is not right Mm. One of the other things you spoke of in the book is how young children find meaning in practically everything that yeah. they find something like one of the things you spoke about was the difference between looking outside and thinking I'm going to build a den outside or thinking it's going to rain in an hour so I'm just going to stay inside mm-hmm. um, and that's the sort of thing that we as adults and teenagers to an extent need to reprogram into into ourselves is finding that meaning in different things. Because children find meaning in everything, and they find fun, and um, yeah, I just I just think that that's something we need to reprogram into ourselves is finding meaning in everything, and failures yes. we don't. Yeah, uh, one of the words that I hear a lot is is with young ki- young young kids is is they see the wonder in everything, mm-hmm. um, and I'm forever encouraging adults to get back to discovering the wonder. In, in everything and actually the example you used from the book there about the the building of the den in the garden like for me that is for me that's everything that's wrong with the world today Gregor there's far too many grown-ups and it's up to them how they spell the word grown there but there's far too many grown-ups out there who have made a shift in their head and their heart from being the type of person that thinks says and feels I'm going outside to build a den in the garden to becoming the type of person that thinks, says, and feels, but it's going to rain in an hour. I think that sums up everything that's wrong uh, in the world for me today. And I think it is about rediscovering that magic, that wonder, that meaning. To use your word from earlier, in in all that's all that's around us. Like my my little girls, she's she's turned ten now. And don't get me wrong, there's moments where I think, God, you're ten going on twenty, you know, but. <laughs> still like even walking to school this morning like she's seeing things that I hadn't seen she's laughing about stuff she's singing songs she's saying let's let's see how fast we can skip and it sounds ridiculous but mate I skipped halfway to school this morning I'm 42 and I loved it I absolutely loved it and we were laughing our heads off and people were looking at us like we were weird but see for that few minutes nothing mattered Nothing, there was no pressure, no worries, no stresses, no anxieties. The two of us were laughing our heads off, holding hands, skipping up the street, blue sky, sunshine, 
beautiful. We found the magic. We found a wee bit of wonder in in a few minutes on the way to school this morning. Whereas two years ago, I'd probably been sat in a car at that time, stressing about a presentation I was going to go and deliver, um, worrying about stuff that I know now doesn't matter. Um, but you'd mentioned, I mean, that's that's that reprogramming of your brain. And again, it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, the reason we hate Mondays is because we've been programmed for generations, generations taught by society, taught by our parents that Mondays are shit. Oh, here we go again. Start of a new week. Oh, my God. Rather mm. than, hey, today's a seventh of your life or these days, Mondays are a seventh of your life. What are you going to do? Make the most of it. Um, but yeah, my uh, I'm clinging on to my 10-year-old child at the moment because I know before I know it, she'll be like 17, 18 and not wanting to hold my hand and skip. She might. She might. Maybe. Probably not. But um, I'll do it. I'll do it if she's up for it. But uh, I joke with her about that. And I say, do you think you'll still want to hold my hand next year when you're in your last year at primary school? Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. I've noticed just, just this last few weeks when we're getting closer to the school now, she lets my hand go. Uh, breaks my heart, Gregor. Breaks my heart. Uh, but this morning, I had we had a moment. Skipping, laughing, singing. I'll take it all day long. Yeah. I think I, I, I'm guilty of stuff like that as well. Is the thing I tend to do a lot is rush everywhere, yeah. and I, it doesn't. I don't have an appointment or don't have any reason to get to that place. It's just I need to get to that place because I've got, I've got something I want to do. Like I want to get, I want to get there, and then I want to do a workout. I want to get there. I want to start writing. I want to get as much out of the day as I can. Productivity, yeah. and I end up getting angry at people that aren't doing that. So people that are walking really slowly, or people are driving really slowly, I'm just like, come on, do you not have anywhere to be? Get yeah. somewhere. Um, but what I've realized recently is that maybe they're just taking in the world maybe they're just walking slowly and actually taking in their surroundings yeah. and I've started deliberately doing that as well sometimes when I remember to and just kind of look around and just kind of hear the sounds of the street and just kind of take in and be grateful for where I live like yeah. Edinburgh is a beautiful city and I think a lot of us will take it for granted and we won't actually look around and realize that until totally we're right. I had a good example of this the other day there about that idea of when you are driving behind someone, just to go back to your point of people driving slow and they are going slow and you're right behind them and you're like, geez, oh God, what are they doing? And all of a sudden you get your chance to overtake and you look like you make a point of looking at them. Mm -hmm. But if that person's an 80 year old woman, you go, oh, oh, oh and you, you look away again quickly because, because it's an 80 year old woman. Why does that change things? Why, yeah. why, why should that matter? As you said, maybe they're just happy. Maybe they're just at peace. Maybe they're just enjoying the stunning views that we do have here in the likes of Edinburgh and then further north and so on. But we find ourselves sitting there going, what is this person doing? Why are they going two miles an hour under the speed limit? And we, it's that thing when we overtake, you feel the need to turn and stare at them and think, how dare you? Um, yeah. I am. Um, I'm definitely guilty of rushing as well, and and not always just being. But I think I'm getting better. Again, I think that I think the last couple of years delivered that slowdown and and that life lesson of appreciating what you do have and what is around you and who is in your life, rather than that sort of Instagram approach to life of I want that, I want that, need, need, need. You know, how come they've got that and I don't have that? Why are they always away in beautiful holidays and I'm not? Um, and actually being able to switch off to that and look around and go, nah, I'm, I'm really lucky, really fortunate. Well, I think there, there's a spectrum, what you're saying about the um, looking at the person that's driving slowly. I think there's a, there's a spectrum. And I think on one, one end of the spectrum, there's people that are in a good mood and they're going about their day. And there's probably a reason they're in a good mood. It's like their day is going well. Yeah. And I find this if I'm at work or... Um, and like I deal with someone that's in a bad mood. I always think, I think it was Bill Clinton that said this. He thinks they've either not eaten or they've had, they've not had enough sleep. Or they've, they've had an argument that morning. It's not you. Like that's no, no person gets that angry about this one situation. It's really something else has happened that morning yeah. and that's tipped them over. And then you've said something that's really annoyed them. Yeah. And that's set them off. Yeah. I think that's a good one. It's so true. And I, I think that's again, a great message for life in general about 
something in there about not not taking the negatives forward into the rest of your day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that thing of if you have a terrible start to your day and you get on a bus and say something horrible to the driver, the chances are he might not be so pleasant to the next person and mm, start ripple effect. Yeah. So flipping that on its head and mm. not letting your frustrations and your little moments of anger or whatever they might be ripple into other people's days. Because mm. there's there's enough of that in the world right now. Yeah. Um, I want to be sympathetic of your time, but got some quick fire questions and yeah demo. yeah go for it go for it um what is the meaning of life for you oh gregor <laughs> <laughs> wow um oh man i think my gut there's so many things i could i, I could say um the meaning of life for me um at the moment because it may change and probably has changed, is family, connections. Now, you're, you're, bear in mind, you're speaking to me three days after the 10th anniversary of losing my dad, and there's been a lot of conversations just this last few days, happy memories, laughter about the importance of family and togetherness and all that sort of stuff. So I think um, wonderful connections, relationships, connectedness, togetherness, community, um and the movement and the joy that 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 brings um and cheeseburgers <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah saved it there <laughs> yeah yeah fucking love cheeseburgers <laughs> <laughs> wait for, from mcdonald's or what, what no 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 i'm not a fan at all of right. uh of mcdonald's no i um i i'm oh mate don't get me started on burgers my son and i have a, a real th- we have we have a list we have a list um I am very passionate about great burgers um, and they do not come from McDonald's. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. I mean, don't get me wrong, every now and then, just as mm-hmm. a quick go-to, but nah. And uh, I also have a thing about blue cheese must be on burgers as well. Mm-hmm. And that's not everybody's taste, but um, I think if we're looking at uh, fast foods, just speaking about McDonald's, but then uh, let's go with five guys on that one. They are by far, by far the best burger when it comes to that sort of quick fire type burger um but uh yeah cheeseburgers cheeseburgers are up there with probably the top three inventions of all time yeah agreed <laughs> I, I like the kind of flat patty like beef patty like what five guys do yeah. i don't like these big thick yeah I agree. burgers i don't like them I and if they but if they are big. but if they are big and thick they need to be very soft and and almost quite loose uh it, yeah. the, one, the ones i hate are the ones that are so pre-made and tightly compact, compact uh, that that's not how burgers uh, should be. They should actually kind of fall apart a wee bit. Yeah. Um, just to go back to your question, though, about the meaning of life, because um, <laughs> uh, burgers are on that list, I think, I don't know where it fits for me, but music plays a part in there somewhere as well. Um I don't know if that's that's not necessarily the meaning of life, but but music, there's something about music for me that that wraps around everything else. Um, yeah. That what it does to you and how it can lift you and actually shape your whole day, your whole mood, your whole being. Um, yeah, and getting I, outside. I've noticed that recently. I've been listening to. I've re, I've, no, I've noticed that I've been listening to too many podcasts and not enough music. And so I've made the effort to actually just start listening to music again. And the feeling I got just from like listening to music, I was paying, like I was walking home, I was paying more attention to what I was looking at. I was, I just felt a bit more. It was totally great. Um, Well, well, for the two years, we've all not really gone anywhere. I've not been doing all the big drives that I used to do or or sitting on a plane or a train like I used to do. But this, this last month or so, that's kind of coming back now. So I'm finding myself hanging about airports and sitting in the car and I also whilst I haven't stopped listening to music over the last two years definitely back into like exploring new bands and revisiting old bands and and downloading new stuff onto my phone to have on the plane and uh mate I love it I think it's 
it really does play a big part in in my life and obviously my wife Ali her background is music and the kids are very musical and my son has started writing his own music I mean it's all weird weird stuff <laughs> but that's I'm all right with that yeah. uh so so yeah I, I don't know how to answer your question is what I'm saying <laughs> well that's enough um as you get older what's one thing you care more about and one thing you care less about uh, one thing I care more about is um, um, uh, I definitely care more about time together okay. um, with those that you care about, whether that's family, friends, whatever, but that time together with the important people in your life. Because we kind of touched on this earlier, particularly with the parents, like you don't, there comes a point where you don't spend much more time with certain people. So I think I definitely have, I'm caring a lot more about making that time for likes of the four of us in this house to be together. Uh, my mum is on her own, making that time to go see mum uh, more than I probably have over the last week while. And then one thing I care less about, eh, other people's opinions. Um, I'm getting better at that. I'm not brilliant with it, but I'm getting better at it. I'm definitely caring less about what other people think of me. I think, you know, I had to learn a long time ago that I'm not everybody's cup of tea. It's a bit like you with your podcast and your writing. You're putting yourself out there now to be judged. You know, we don't do it to be judged, but you are putting yourself out there to be judged. Same with the books. It's same with when I was doing stand-up. We get some horrible reviews, but we also get some beautiful reviews. And it's the same with being a speaker, you know, like on Friday, I'm standing up at an event and I'm doing a four-hour input, four hours to 53 head teachers of schools in Middlesbrough. Now, I really hope they love it, yeah. but there's going to be one or two that maybe don't love it as much, and I have to be okay with that, because if I'm not, that will eat me up. Um, you know, you can get 99 bits of feedback out of 100 that are five out of five, brilliant, first class, and one that says two, hated it. Mm -hmm. And there was a time where I would lose sleep over that one out of 100. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm definitely getting better at caring less about what other people think of me. Yeah, I think that's that's what if you're doing something creative, you should be aiming for. You should be aiming for um, enough people to enjoy you, but aiming yeah. for everyone to like you. You're never going to be free in that way, and wherever you're doing that's creative. You're never yeah. going to keep catering to everyone so that everyone likes you. Yeah, and if somebody gives you feedback that you don't like, well maybe you should listen to it though you know and, and learn from it because there might be a wee golden nugget in there that will that will make you better so uh and sometimes you read those bits of feedback and just like, right okay whatever and you have you have to just let it go um so yeah yeah um if you could stop the clock at any age what, what would it be and why no right now um wow. i i um <laughs> in a year say again would you say the same thing in a year? Because that's that's great. Um, I don't know. That's, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I, I um, there's there's something quite special for me now. Um, my things feel okay at the moment. They feel good. well. No, it's more than if, if things feel good um, in my life, uh, not in the world. Um, mm. I'd like. I'd like that to stop and to be fixed. And of course, mm -hmm. I want world peace and everyone to be happy. It's never going to happen. Uh, you can't, no, not, not, uh, not entirely. Um, I love, I just love where I'm at at the moment, like right now. Um, I don't, I don't want to get older. Uh, it's funny, I got a, I got a message from one of my best friends of all time on, uh, on Sunday. Again, the anniversary, the tenth anniversary of losing dad, and it's a guy that I grew up with, and I, I went into stand up with at the age of seventeen, and we we travelled the world together. And unfortunately, we don't we don't really speak an awful lot now, and that's due to lots of things that happened a long, long, long time ago now. But he sent me a message. He also lost his dad. In fact, he lost his dad when he was even even much much younger again, and. And he sent me a message saying, I had a dream last night that we were sitting in your mum and dad's old kitchen, pissing ourselves laughing. And this is something we did a lot. My mum and dad were magic, and we used to sit with them in that old kitchen just laughing at what we were up to as teens trying to make it in the world of comedy. 
um, and we knew nothing, and we didn't even know how it'd be funny, but we were going for it, and and I just oh sorry, that was the point. And then he, at the end of his message, he said, and they were younger than we are now, and mate, I burst into tears. Yeah. Like, like I, I genuinely just burst into tears. I can actually feel myself well now because I just, I just had that moment of shit. Like it's gone so fast, you know. Like I've, I'm very lucky. I've had a great life, great parents, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong, some shit has happened, and it does to us all, and I know it has to you as well. And but, um, I burst into tears, and I sent him a message back, going, "Dude, this took me by surprise. This message, I don't know why, but I'm sitting here bawling my eyes out." To which he replied, "Dude, your message just took me surprise. Now I've burst into tears. <laughs> um, we were so close, so so close. Him and I from from birth. Our parents were really close. Both lost our dads young, all this to cancer and all that sort of stuff. But um, that message really threw me. Uh, and then it led to a conversation about my mum's surprise fortieth, and how his dad was actually a very famous rugby player and a real character on the TV and stuff." back in the day and how he turned up in his shorts and a vest that morning and wrote a big, put balloons all over the garden and had written this hilarious poem about my mum. And I've got, I've got photos of that. And that was my mum's 40th mate. I'm, I'm nearly 43, but it, it feels like yesterday. So going back to your question. Yeah. Let's just stop the clock right now and uh, enjoy this. Well, let's hope we can. Um, so let's, Let's wrap up. Uh, where can where can people buy the book? Where can people stay up to date with what you're doing? Um, well, with 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 all of my books, I would love people to buy them from independent bookstores. Uh, I know that's not that's something I actually it's ukbookshop.org. Brilliant. That's, every time I link in the show notes, it's always to that. It's not to Amazon. It's yeah, no, that's amazing. I, I definitely support that. I think it's not always easy for people, and it's usually we you usually pay full price for the book. Um, which is why most people go to Amazon because there's always there's always deals or or something on, but um, yeah, any 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 bookshop can order it in if they don't have it, um, and it goes with all the books. So yeah, or online, um, GavinOats.com. I've got I've got my nice new lovely website that is a one pager. I thought I'm going for a one pager. Uh, keep it dead simple, uh, and I'm loving it. Um, but there's also treeof.com if they want to find out about Tree of Knowledge and all the work we do with businesses and schools and colleges and unis, all the different programs that, that, that we offer. And then our online platform for, for, for young people and mental health and so on. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm lucky I've got one of these strange surnames, Oates, with two T's and an E. There's there's no one else out there uh, that has O-A-T-T-E-S as a surname. So easily found uh, <laughs> if anybody does want to know more. And then, of course, there's Twitter and all the uh, LinkedIn's and things like that. So yeah, happy to hear from anybody that wants to get in touch. But um, but yeah, really appreciate you bringing me on. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on. It's a great conversation. Next time you have a book out, we'll do it. We'll do it again. Let's do it. Brilliant. Cheers, Gregor. And that's the end of episode twenty-one of the End Context podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you to Gavin Oates for being a part of it. Like I said at the start, if you could please like, subscribe, or follow wherever you're listening, it does mean a lot, and it's the number one way you can support the podcast. I'll also link all of my social media accounts in the show notes and I'll also link where you can subscribe to the Struggle for Meaning newsletter. But for now, thank you very much for listening and take care.